0: Here it is.
1: From deep inside your radio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I had the opp- the pleasure. Well, I had the opportunity of watching some of the uh Sunday Yak shows today on the uh the various legacy networks. They don't have those shows yet um on Netflix or Hulu. So you have to you have to go Legacy. And uh A lot of the discussion focused on, is Islamic State an existential threat to the United States? I know, I chuckled at even the the recital of the premise. I, you know, I was raised to think that an existential threat was 20,000 nuclear-tipped missiles aimed at major American cities on three minutes' notice. That's your existential threat. Not to, you know, diminish the nastiness of, of this ragtag bunch. of They're not ragtag anymore. Al Qaeda was ragtag. They got lucky. Uh, and uh, you notice the war hawks used to say, in defense of a uh, U.S. robust projection of U.S. power in the Middle East uh, and the possibility that it would uh, instigate some blowback, well, there was Al Qaeda long before there was uh, the Iraq War. True enough, but there wasn't Islamic state before now that's just you know no causation that's just correlation because there wasn't uh, Spotify before the Iraq war either so there you go and the other major topic <laughs> this show this is why you probably don't watch the Sunday act shows the other one of the other major topics was president obama's appearance at the National Prayer Breakfast this week. Now I know, for some of us, it, it comes as a rude shock every year that there is such a thing called the Presidential Prayer Breakfast. I thought in the First Amendment there was a thing about establishment of religion. It's not establishment. It's just a breakfast. If it was dinner, then we could talk. And the president made a statement um, trying to put... The depredations of Islamic State, the barbarism of it, in some perspective, too much effing perspective, the uh, critics have averred, um, by saying, you know, well, there was a lot of uh, bad stuff done in the name of Christianity 500 years ago, 700 years ago. A little thing called the Crusades. Wow. You know, I'm not in the position, nor in the uh, mood of being a big defender of, of the, in, any incumbent president. But, you know, they, they just, the, this, this guy has critics who will uh, leap on him if he inhales. And so uh, the, the idea that you would make that comparison at this point in time just had the uh, right wing absolutely frothing this weekend, that um, why would you bring up the Crusades at a moment like this? Why would you compare religions at a moment like this? Coincidentally, the BBC reported this week, well, there are two interesting things from the BBC. One, um, I think I shared with you f- a few weeks ago uh, on the, in the British media, it had been estimated it took 30 people to full-time track one suspected terrorist. This morning, the number has been <laughs> raised to 40, just for your records. But I also uh, learned... That Prince Charles, the future king of England, maybe, in 1994, something around then, gave a speech in which he made very much the same comparison. And that speech was cited by a BBC, uh, actually a guest on a BBC news show, in explaining why Charles might possibly get a hearing this weekend as he visits Saudi Arabia, a hearing on the subject of, why don't you knock off with the flogging of the blogger? Which must come as a disappointment to the blogger flogger, but that Charles might be heard by the royals in Saudi Arabia, A, because he's a royal and they like royals, and B, because he made that speech. But, you know, Charles doesn't have an, an election to run. Well, neither does Obama. But Charles doesn't have a library to get donations for. Hello, welcome to the show. Carnival time in New Orleans, so from New Orleans. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show, and now we've got the ultra modern neck of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what the frack. The Coast Guard's lead chemical engineer. In Wheeling, West Virginia, says radioactivity found in drilling or fracking waste from the Marcellus Shale Formation in Pennsylvania and West Virginia would disqualify it from being barged on the Ohio River as so-called oil field waste, as a drilling company Green Hunter Resources is hoping to do. Green Hunter's chief operating officer says his company still believes it has the authority to transport the water, wastewater via river vessels. He doesn't believe there's any proof the material his firm is going to ship has elevated elevated levels of radium. You should check his watch. The lead chemical engineer for the Coast Guard's hazardous materials division says the presence of radioactivity is the primary difference between shale extraction wastewater and the more traditional oil field waste. The Marcellus shale is known to have elevated levels of naturally occurring radioactive materials, particularly radium, said the... Wastewater a chemical engineer Cynthia Zan- uh, Znati. From our perspective, that is the main hazard: radioactive waste from fracking. What the frack? That is that is nutty. So it won't. It may not be on the uh, Ohio River. I know it's. It comes as a a sad and tragic. Shock to us all and now ladies and gentlemen
0: once I had a secret that lived within the heart of me all too soon my secret became impatient to be free and my secrets no secrets and
1: Welcome to the World of Secrets. The British surveillance agency, GCHQ, has been officially censured, not censored, censured, for not revealing enough about how it shares information with the NSA in our fabulous country. The Investigatory Powers Tribunal, do we have one of those, said GCHQ failed until last December to make clear enough the details of how it shared data from mass Internet surveillance, which I guess it does. Mass Internet surveillance. Maybe a disconnect? It was the tribunal's first ruling against an intelligence agency in its 15-year history. There's always the first time. Must have been something wrong. The IPT ruled the current system of UK intelligence collection did not breach the European Convention of Human Rights. It ruled that in December, following a complaint by privacy groups. But the tribunal, the tribunal the tribunal has now ruled that the public disclosure of two paragraphs of additional detail was essential to make the regime sufficiently foreseeable. The agency is now compliant with the Human Rights Act of Europe. And law enforcement in this country cannot indefinitely forbid Yahoo!, from revealing a grand jury subpoena that seeks subscriber account information. That's according to a U.S. judge, saying doing so would violate the company's free speech rights. (laughs) We still have those? (laughs) Oh, man, those were good times when we had those. The U.S. magistrate Judge Paul Gravel in San Jose, California, wrote that the government's request would prohibit Yahoo from disclosing the subpoena even years after the grand jury concluded its probe. The court order does not, of course, disclose who's the target of the federal investigation, because that would be, you know, secret. In an era of increasing public demand for transparency about the event extent of government demands for data from providers like Yahoo, this cannot stand, wrote the judge. Has he got Bush's writer? Representatives for Yahoo and the Department of Justice couldn't comment. I guess somebody slapped a gag order on them. Internet companies such as Yahoo, Twitter, and Facebook have sought to clarify their relationship with U.S. security agencies and law enforcement, and to challenge secret orders to turn over information because they want to reassure users that we can trust them. I trust them, don't you? In this case, the government's secrecy request was presented directly to the judge outside of the presence of Yahoo lawyers or attorneys for the target of the probe. Nice, nice move. Smooth move. Instead of asking that Yahoo be gagged for 60 or 90 days, the government asked that the company be gagged until further order of the court government did not demonstrate why such an indefinite request was necessary wrote the judge in this case judge grewal can't can't uh, gag yahoo indefinitely you better you should know that everybody should know that should know better than that news of secrets ladies and gentlemen that are, no, that are secrets no more it is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast and now The Apologies of the Week. Some good ones this week. I think you'll like. A Utah legislator says the news media quoted him out of context, saying he questioned whether sex with an unconscious person always amounts to rape. Guess the party affiliation. But in the wake of a brutal backlash, he's apologizing, brutal in his words, he's apologizing for any pain his words caused. I should have been more careful. I want to take ownership for that. The media reports don't clearly reflect my intent or my position or my belief, said Republican Representative Brian Green of Pleasant Grove, Utah. He issued a written statement seeking to clarify his position in the wake of scaling, scaling criticism everywhere from social media to the New York Times. It's been brutal. There's been a lot of communication. I'll just leave it at that. He was among a handful of male committee members parsing the language in a bill that is meant to simplify Utah's definition of consent in sexual assault cases. During Tuesday's debate, Green said, quote, if an individual has sex with their wife while she is unconscious, a prosecutor could then charge that spouse with rape, theoretically. That makes sense in a first date scenario, but not, to me, not where people have a history of years of sexual activity, unquote. The next day... He said, I understood that in isolation some of the words I chose could be interpreted in an ugly way. It was never my intention. The bill's sponsor said he believed Green was stammering for an example, but, quote, didn't choose the right one. McDonald's in Mexico, you're welcome, has apologized for a social media post saying that, quote, tamales are a thing of the past, unquote. The hamburger chain was criticized for the comment in a McBurrito ad on its Facebook page. I I would hope that was Mick Facebook. The post was taken down after backlash on social media. Tamales are traditionally eaten as part of the celebration of Dia de la Candelaria, which was Monday. It was never the intention of McDonald's Mexico to disrespect celebrations or traditional Mexican foods like tamales. McDonald's Mexico stated en español on its website Tuesday. McDonald's said it respects the traditions and beliefs of all countries where it operates, except for tax laws. No, it didn't say that. Come on. The apology state of McDonald's has been in Mexico for 30 years and offers Mexico-inspired foods on its menu, such as huevos a la Mexicana and churros. McChurros? Didn't say. Dayline Charleston, West Virginia, Delegate Brian Cursaba, Republican of Monongahela, apologized for suggesting that beautiful children can be a silver lining to rape. It's going around. Republican legislative circles this week, I guess. Must be an election coming up. That was a comment the pro-life lawmaker said was misrepresented by some media agencies. Damn media again. Those damn media. I apologize to anyone who took my comments about the sanctity of human life to mean anything other than that all children are precious regardless of circumstances. Krasaba said in a statement Friday afternoon, It's unfortunate that only portions of my statement were publicized, resulting in misrepresentation. Obviously, rape is awful, said the first-term delegate in a hearing before the House Health Committee in Virginia, West Virginia. sorry, What is beautiful is the child that could come from this. The comment garnered nationwide attention and severe criticism from the pro-choice side. We'll get to um, some fine media apologies moments from now, but still more apologies, though, first. The British broadcaster Sky News apologized for showing the images of the Gaza conflict during an interview about the Holocaust with Britain's chief rabbi, Ephraim Mervis. The apology came in a letter sent by Sky News managing editor to a viewer who sent a letter of complaint about the interview by presenter Adam Bolton. I've been interviewed by Adam Bolton. It was nice to me. Lowe said uh, the managing editor said showing images of Gaza while the chief rabbi talked about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was logical. But in hindsight, he would not have combined the two, calling it an indelicate clash. He added, quote, I'm sorry if you or anyone was upset by the interview Adam did with the Chief Rabbi. I agree that the particular circumstances of the use of the pictures from Gaza was unfortunate. And a leader of Hungary's Jewish community has apologized for saying that Chancellor Angela, Angela Merkel was the highest-ranking German official to visit Budapest's Duhani Street synagogue since Adolf Eichmann. Look him up. The Federation of Hungarian Jewish Communities said the comments by its president in the weekly Hetek magazine had only meant to illustrate what a long historical way Germany has come from the Holocaust to the present. In the interview, Heisler also mentioned that Monday's meeting between Merkel and leaders of Hungary's Jewish groups took place in the room from where Eichmann issued his deadly orders. A British Columbia newspaper has apologized for a column that said dogs are easily replaced while sympathizing with the woman who let six pets die in a hot truck last year. Hot truck! Hey! Adrian McNair, who writes for the Now newspaper in Surrey, British Columbia, sparked an uproar with his column in which he showed compassion for a dog walker who was sentenced to six months in jail for causing the deaths of six dogs in her hot car. I felt sympathy because she's going to lose her right to freedom over the death of six animals who at the end of the day are essentially inconsequential to this world he wrote although i enjoyed having a dog and i can understand how people get emotionally attached to their pets i have to say that fatherhood changed my perspective on the human animal hierarchy yeah he's got that disease we don't need no more breeders buddy he continued to he continued to argue that an arbitrary social construct has made it legal to slaughter other animals, but send Paulson to jail for canine deaths. Paulson is the dog walker. And the people should start taking care of one another rather than worry so much about dogs. Dogs are easily replaced, he wrote. Yeah, have you you looked at people lately? The piece inflamed readers who commented on the Facebook page. On Thursday morning, the paper's editor, Bo Simpson, Simpson, eh? issued an apology. While I support our columnist's right to hold and publish opinions that may be unpopular as editor, I accept responsibility for allowing such viewpoints to be expressed in a callous, insensitive, and disrespectful manner. It's an apology, I guess. The senior uh, pastor of a prominent Los Angeles church has issued an apology after controversial comments during a sermon delivered weeks ago. Pastor J. Edgar Boyd of the First African Methodist Episcopal Church last month told Sunday worshipers, things have changed since 1960, but not so much, comparing law enforcement officers to the Ku Klux Klan. After those remarks, the LAPD's Police Protective League issued a statement saying they were deeply disturbed. <laughs> I've noticed. Oh, and astonished by the pastor's comments. In a new video posted on the church's website, Boyd is seen apologizing to those who may have been offended by the comments in the sermon. Very different. Police don't wear hoods. Eh, come on. All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, now let's get to it. and Do it. Um, Oh, one more. Sorry. Another couple of apologies, and then we'll get to it. Romania, its foreign ministry, apologized on Friday after its embassy in Paris sent out invitations for a reception and accidentally attached a spreadsheet with unflattering descriptions of some of the guests. The embassy emailed uh, invitations to reps of the Romanian diaspora for reception to mark a visit by Romania's president to France. It described some guests as undesirable, and one of them as ghastly. Annotations on the document for internal use do not reflect the opinion or assessment of the Romanian embassy in Paris, and they are purely personal, so the responsible person was sanctioned, said the ministry in a statement. The Indian government has apologized to a senior Catholic church official for refusing visas to two Vatican officials traveling to address a meeting of the Conference of Catholic Bishops of India. The government is also assured it will investigate what went wrong, said Cardinal Gracias, the president of the bishops' conference. We were happy the government has acknowledged and responded to our anguish, he said, Cardinal Gracia said. Their anguish. Yeah, I know. There's other anguish that the church doesn't seem to be so attentive to all the time. Former president US, U.S. President Bill Clinton in Mexico to meet with Mexico's president apologized for the U.S.'s responsibility in Mexico's drug trafficking. He said the way the U.S. tried to prevent drug tracking, trafficking didn't work, really. Bill Clinton, the U.S. tried to stop stop drug smuggling. I'll speak slower now. The U.S. tried to stop drug smuggling by monitoring the sea and the air when they should have been monitoring and trying to prevent drug trafficking by land. He said, "I apologize for that." Now, media apologies. BBC, uh, sorry, British news presenter Kathy Newman has apologized after. Closed-circuit TV footage obtained by the Huffington Post appeared to contradict her claim that she was ushered out of the door of a London mosque on Visit My Mosque Day. (laughs) The South London Islamic Center, where Newman claims she was turned away despite turning up wearing a headscarf, says surveillance video shows the reporter arriving at the mosque being directed by a male congregant but leaving alone through the courtyard. Married 60 Minutes newsman Steve Croft has apologized to his fellow correspondents after details of his three-year affair with a lawyer became public, reports the New York Post. CBS News denies that that happened. New York Post, owned by Rupert Murdoch. And now, yes, now, to the Apology of the Week, here is NBC News, nightly news anchor, brian williams
2: on this broadcast last week in an effort to honor and thank a veteran who protected me and so many others after a ground fire incident in the desert during the iraq war invasion i made a mistake in recalling the events of twelve years ago it did not take long to hear from some brave men and women in the air crews who were also in that desert i want to apologize i said i was traveling in an aircraft that was hit by rpg fire I was instead in a following aircraft. We all landed after the ground fire incident and spent two harrowing nights in a sandstorm in the Iraq desert. This was a bungled attempt by me to thank one special veteran and by extension, our brave military men and women, veterans everywhere, those who have served while I did not. I hope they know they have my greatest respect and also now my apology.
1: Well, nice try, babe. But it wasn't a bungled attempt to uh, make nice with a guy, because here's what he said two years ago to a CBS TV late night host.
2: This very day, uh, this was uh, me 10 years ago and a young command sergeant major. Uh, I was in Iraq. We were in uh, some helicopters. What we didn't know was we were north of the invasion. We were the northernmost Americans in Iraq. We were going to drop some bridge portions across the Euphrates so the 3rd Infantry could cross on them. Uh two of our 4 helicopters were hit by ground fire, including the one I was in. No kidding. uh, RPG and and AK-47. What happens the minute everybody realizes you've been hit? Uh, we figure out how to land safely, and we did. We landed very quickly and hard, and we put down, and we were stuck. Four birds in the middle of the desert, and we were north, out ahead of the other Americans. Oh, my. So we got hit, we sat down, everyone was okay. Our captain took a purple heart injury to his ear in the cockpit, um, But we were alone.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's the version from two years ago. The apology satisfied some of the soldiers who were there, but left a few insisting that the details were still misrepresented. This all happened with Stars and Stripes. Uh, The military newspaper uh, went to talk to some people who were on the helicopter that Brian Williams was on. At the time. He has said on different occasions he came under fire and his helicopter was forced down to the attack. Former and active-duty soldiers who were on the same missions had said the anchor's aircraft landed in the Karbala area because of a blinding sandstorm and not hostile fire. uh, Among those who were part of the mission, I have a feeling he didn't have a choice but to apologize, said David Lake, a former soldier and flight engineer who was aboard a helicopter flying along with the one carrying Williams. He said he thought the apology came only because soldiers challenged Williams' version Michael Keefu was a door gunner on the Chinook hit by, that was actually hit by RPGs, so he was satisfied with the apology. Some former soldiers thought there were still discrepancies between his account and their own memory of ev- events. Luke said it was misleading for Williams to say his aircraft was following the stricken Chinook, as you heard him say. He told Stars and Stripes Williams' Chinook was headed south, back toward Kuwait, when it passed another formation from a separate aviation company flying north. After they two passed each other, Luke's crew heard on the radio that a northbound aircraft had been hit by RPG, presumably from gunmen in a white pickup truck. Soon after the attack, Luke said his helicopter and the one carrying Williams were forced to change course because of the sandstorm and land near a makeshift supply camp where the stricken helicopter had also put down. Stars and Stripes compiled its account of what happened to the two helicopter companies that day through interviews with five soldiers who were there. And NBC News has launched an internal investigation investigation into statements made by Williams. This represents a change in the network's official from the day before, when senior managers appeared to have accepted his apology. Williams, yesterday, Saturday, announced he was absenting himself from the anchor desk of NBC Nightly News for a few days until we uh, start paying more attention to Pete Carroll's bungled call in the Super Bowl again. So he may be off Nightly News. He may... However, still be on the air. From NBC World Hindquarters in New York, Brian Williams misremembers a corrected chronicle of conflated reporting. Here's the mismanaging editor of NBC Nightly News, Brian Williams. September 11th, 2001 was a Wednesday morning, and I was in downtown Manhattan. Coming down an elevator in a tall office building after conducting an interview for my MSNBC program. Here is how I reported it on my video blog. I've just stepped out into what looks like A lunar landscape, and I am glad to be here. Moments ago, I was in an elevator that hurtled its way down 30 or 40 stories in a matter of seconds. After all of us heard a loud bang, our car shuddered and then began our downward descent. One thought passed through the minds of my fellow passengers and me. Will anything stop this runaway elevator except a sudden crash into bedrock? Fortunately for all of us, a day which has been a nightmare for so many in this city ended as just a bad dream for that elevator's passengers. We walked out of the subway concourse and into what everybody who's been watching television already knew, an attack on the World Trade Center. As it turns out, September 11, 2001 was a Tuesday. I had come down an elevator in a four-story office building in Managua, Nicaragua, in the middle of a sandstorm, after interviewing a Sandinista official. The loud bang in the elevator was the result of poor soundproofing in the building. That Sandinista official was slamming his door after I left. But it was a day to misremember. I'm Brian Williams in New York. This NBC News special report was recorded in Washington. Oh, oh, cha do, oh, oh, cha do.
0: I love, I love you, yes indeed. Well, oh, oh. And I
2: need you too
0: I'll set the world on fire for you Mm I need you I need you, yes indeed Baby, 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 don't you know I need you I need you, yes indeed Tell your mama and your mama too, I'm gonna spend my life with you. Choo-do-koo-doo choo do I love you I love you, yes, indeed Don't you know, baby, I love you Love you, yes, indeed I'm gonna let you know just where you stand But I wanna be your man Choo-do-koo-doo oh, do I need you I need you, yes indeed Don't you, don't you know, baby that I need you I need you yes indeed Your mama done told you close of night and day don't you let that man get away you Do
1: From New Orleans, this is Le Show. We talked, we, I got a frog in my pocket. Um, I talked on this program a couple weeks ago about um, the idea of piping fake noise into cars and into Formula One racetracks. Now, this comes. The owner of the Atlanta Falcons, Arthur Blank, said this week he's seen enough of the National Football League's investigation of fake crowd noise at Atlanta's home games to acknowledge wrongdoing. The NFL is trying to determine if the Falcons pumped artificial crowd noise into the Georgia Dome for home games during the last two years. The, par- the answer, apparently, is yes, Blank had a quick response when asked if there was a fine line for crowd noise not allowed by the league. No, it's not really a fine line. He said, I think what we've done in 2000 and 2014 was wrong. Anything that affects the competitive balance and fairness in the field, we're opposed to as a league, as a club, and as an owner. It's obviously embarrassing, but beyond embarrassing, it doesn't represent our culture and what we're about. They got culture in Atlanta? Wow. Blank said he expects the league to report its findings in two to three weeks. The Falcons could be p- fined or penalized. They really are dirty birds. We've got some information internally, Blank said of the investigation, not all clearly until we see the full report. We've talked to a lot of people and we've cooperated and will be anxious to read the report. Thank you, fake crowd. Thank you, fake crowd, for your credible noise. Yes, thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, But that's not the only report coming out soon. Here's news from outside the bubble. See there's this other report that has been in the making since 2009, a report on how the how Britain got into the Iraq war called the Chilcot report. Today we learned 30 people including Tony Blair are are going to be heavily criticized by the inquiry in a devastating attack on the war. Well placed sources told the mail on Sunday. I don't know why they talked to the mail on Sunday but apparently they did. That approximately thirty people have been sent letters by the chairman warning them that they will be criticized in his report into the invasion, including Blair and his ex-Foreign Secretary, as well as a host of other Labour Party politicians. There's an election in Britain coming up. The Mail on Sunday understands Chocott's million-word report on the conflict is largely finished. Its strongly worded criticisms of the way the war was handled make claims that it will be a whitewash. A nonsense. Downing Street insiders expect the report. These are people who work for the conservative government. Downing Street expect the report to be a devastating indictment of the Labour Blair government and large sections of the British political government establishment. Among the most explosive parts will be the details of 30 secret letters, notes and conversations between Blair and former U.S. President George W. Bush in the run up to the war. Full details of the way that Blair privately promised Bush that he would go to war against Saddam without telling members of parliament or British voters will be published. Blair and Bush are said to have, quote, signed in blood, unquote, their agreement to oust Hussein in secret talks at the president's ranch in Crawford, Texas, in February 2002, a full year before the war started. Even though we were assured at the time, hey, that's a last resort. I think the last resort was Cancun. Blair's candid words in their secret letters with redactions to protect sensitive military and intelligence issues only will be published word for word. Only the gist of Bush's comments will be published to avoid embarrassing a key British foreign ally, the United States of America. Something to look forward to, ladies and gentlemen news from outside the bubble a copyrighted feature of this broadcast from nbc world hindquarters in new york this is brian williams misremembers here is nbc nightly news anchor emeritus tom brokaw In 2011, I sat down to interview Brian Williams about his experience reporting from the Japanese earthquake and tsunami in Fukushima. His account was harrowing and illuminating. Well, you know, Tom, that uh, covering this kind of event means trying to impose order on what seems to the naked eye to be utter chaos. By the time I got to the Fukushima Prefecture, the earthquake had happened, and my camera crew and I were on the beach as the largest wave any of us had ever seen came barreling onto the shore. Did you and your crew look for shelter? Look for shelter? Mm Mm-hmm. Tom, this wasn't a tourist beach. There was nowhere to hide. We took the full brunt of it. Of course, there's no footage because our cameras were totally soaked. Oh, well, I thought we had waterproof. I even ended up drinking some of the seawater. That's not an experience I recommend, by the way. As it turns out, Brian was in a very different part of Asia, although it was still Asia. He was in a water park in Singapore with his family, not an NBC News crew and apparently the wave machine had gone temporarily out of control. Brian told me this week he conflated the two events because he has a phobia about getting wet. I'm Tom Brokaw in Los Angeles. Brian Williams' Misremembers was an NBC News misproduction.
3: Pra quem gosta de lua luará. Pra quem quer de aguado, só virá. Gosto de ficar imaginando que os teus olhos me pedem. Gosto de ficar nessa preguiça espreguiçando de amor. Gosto de ficar adivinhando que os teus olhos refletem. Até o lado da vida fica mais bonita, não tem choro nem dor.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, let us try, as you know, the motto of the United States Army Corps of Engineers who um, try so very, 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 enough varies, very, very hard to um, keep trying. The Corps of Engineers now has has scaled back its plan to kill double-crested cormorants to keep them from eating juvenile salmon at the mouth of the Columbia River. These are the salmon that survive the multiplicity of dams that the Corps has built on the river, which have chewed them up. On Friday, the Corps released a final environmental impact statement detailing plans to shrink the colony of long-necked black seabirds nesting on East Sand Island to about 5,600 pairs, down from about 13,000 pairs. It's a, it's a massacre, yeah, but it's not as big a massacre. The revised version of a preliminary plan released last summer calls for shooting nearly 11,000 birds in the next three years, and pouring oil over twenty-six thousand nests to prevent the eggs from catch- hatching, also to keep the birds sitting on the nest because that oil is sticky. Ow! I can't get up," said the cormorant. "It prevent. It represents a rollback from the original plan, which called for killing sixteen thousand birds. Only eleven thousand. What's the big deal now? There's going to be a <coughs> Both the original plan and the new plan call for flooding a portion of the island to reduce the available nesting land. Well, why not electrify it while you're at it? Just sizzle them, along with hazing to discourage them from staying on the island. You call that a neck? I don't think they mean that kind of hazing. Maybe having Phi Kappa somebody come in and uh, humiliate them? The changes came in response to more than 152,000 public comments on the original plan, nearly all of which expressed opposition to the killing. Now, that bird lobby, that cormorant lobby, damn. The plans were drawn up in response to a NOAA fisheries biological opinion that called upon the Corps to trim the cormorant colony to 5,900 or fewer breeding pairs in order to protect fish. The Corps estimates that since 1989, that would be, what, uh, 26 years ago, since then, in the past 26 years, cormorants on that island have eaten about 11 million salmon and steelhead smelts yearly, or nearly 7% of juvenile steelhead that pass by on their way to the ocean. We have a number on how many have died in the dams. We do not. All right, so we'll we'll continue to pursue that story. But in the meantime, let them, let them try. Let them, let them try to kill the cormorants. The United States Army Corps of Engineers, ladies and gentlemen, and now, no, not that this he's not a general he commands no troops he's not an inspector he at no sticks he's an inspector general oh yeah. oh yeah well you remember that uh nuclear waste plant at uh, los alamos new mexico the it was the acronym for it is wip w y p p And um, they've had to close the uh, the waste dump. Now um, we learn more about that incident. In the spring, uh, three years ago, a Los Alamos National Laboratory team spelled out how difficult nuclear waste should be treated at the lab. Instead, those good intentions morphed into the makings of a disaster, according to the Department of Energy's Office of Inspector General. Within a couple of months, according to senior lab officials, an important error occurred when the note taker at a meeting mistakenly wrote down instead of inorganic, describing the cat litter to be used to surround the waste, an organic. The mistake was compounded by failure to catch it in subsequent reviews, according to Los Alamos officials. The inspector general's report on how a waste drum from Los Alamos popped open and contaminated the nation's repository for certain types of nuclear waste, says the errors would likely have been discovered if an appropriate subject matter expert at Los Alamos had reviewed procedural changes. Those revisions led to the addition of organic wheat-based cat litter into radioactive waste barrels containing nitrate salts, essentially the recipe for an explosive. The senior Los Alamos officials who talked to the Albuquerque Journal said no high-level scientist with sufficient expertise was ever involved in the procedural review that led to the change. The lab officials also said that, you know, these scientists always lobbying for themselves to get involved. You know, common sense, let common sense do the job. The lab officials also said that lack of scientist input was an example of a disconnect between Los Alamos' high-level science work and its often. Blue-collar factory-like functions, like processing and packing the waste left over from nu- nuclear weapons production, that's a that's a common sense job. Anybody. Various government and news reports over the past year have revealed, discussed, and debated how that chemical reaction in one of the barrels caused the drum to breach. Last year, the drum was many, one of many that included the organic cat li- li- litter called Sweet Scoop. S. Wheat Scoop, inappropriately added to wastes containing oxidizing nitrates. The radioactive contamination from the burst drum has shut down the Waste Isolation Pilot Project. It's just a pilot project, never going to do that again, where Waste Process at Los Alamos and other sites around the country is sent for underground disposal. Because we'll, we won't notice it there. WIP's reopening is expected to cost half a billion dollars. The Department of Energy says the facility might not resume full operations for another three years. There will be a full-blown Department of Energy report on what caused the whip accident coming out probably next week. News. Oh, the uh, Inspector General's office suggests in its account that a proper absorbent inorganic cat litter was not being used on the waste stream package at Los Alamos in the months before the switch to Sweet Scoop. It says uh, Los Alamos was using an organic polymer absorbent also termed a hazard prior to. To the organic kitty litter so it wasn't just the typo or the mistaken note they just had a jones for organic kitty litter apparently how do you explain these how, how, how does one explain these things news of inspectors general ladies and gentlemen it is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast and now news of the warm won't you To the world. A new report by the Climate Council of Australia says it would have been virtually impossible for 2013 to be the hottest year in the country's history, recorded history, without man-made emissions in the atmosphere. The independently funded group used new modeling mm, to look at the odds of extreme heat events occurring with and without man-made emissions. A computer simulation of the atmosphere showed climate change tripled the odds that the heat waves of 2012-13 would occur as frequently as they did and double the odds they would be as intense as they were. But that's just Australia. News to the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. From NBC World hindquarters in New York, this is Brian Williams' Misremembers, a corrected chronicle of conflated journalism. Now... Miss reporting from Studio 3C, here is Brian Williams. I've often told this story to my NBC News colleagues. It has to do with my introduction to the world of late-night television. As a young MSNBC anchor, I had been flown to Burbank to guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And here's videotape of that moment from the NBC archives. <laughs> now, as I understand Brian... You have a very rare pair of suspenders? Oh, that's right, Johnny. They were given to me by one of my idols in the news business. And if I get up, you can see them. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Don't take a chair with you. NBC charges me for those.
2: I, I, I seem to have
1: got my suspenders caught on the chair when I sat down. Oh, I, I know what you mean. Sitting down is the hardest part of my job, too. <laughs> As it happens, Johnny Carson had retired by that time. As a young reporter in New York, I had been booked on the Joe Franklin program to show off my Walter Cronkite suspenders. In fact, it was Joe's lavalier microphone cable that got caught under the leg of his chair when he got up during a commercial break, but it was never seen on air. The tape in the NBC archives was computer-generated to match my conflated recollection, and the Suspenders were actually once owned by commentator Eric Severide, but that was a day to misremember. I'm Brian Williams in Studio 7B. Brian Williams' Misremembers is a production of NBC News, which is solely misresponsible for its content.
2: Harry, I don't have to listen
1: to your phone calls to know what you're doing. Thanks, Joe. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Williams' Peabody award-winning coverage of the flooding of New Orleans in 2005 and its aftermath has come under criticism, according to the New Orleans Advocate newspaper, including his uh, claim to Tom Brokaw that he witnessed a suicide falling from the upper deck of the Superdome and that he had witnessed a Body floating by him in his hotel in the Ritz Carlton, most of which location, the Ritz Carlton in the French Quarter, was dry during the flood. A pathologist, Gregory Henderson, said water was definitely waste high washed, people wading through it near the, but I didn't see any bodies floating in it. A 2008 Louisiana report that mapped all Katrina-related injuries did not indicate any bodies were found near the hotel. He also said his hotel was at one point overrun by marauding gangs, that he got sick from dysentery, from accidentally ingesting flood water. The um, pathologist who worked in New Orleans at the time said there were no reports of dysentery during the flood. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over the same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the and 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet seven point four nine oh megahertz shortwave, around the, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want, at harryshearer.com and kcr, uh, kcsn.org. Wow. Living in the past uh, via s- s- for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and a free podcast from www.no.org Sideshow Network SoundCloud iTunes and TuneIn.com and it'd be just like not living in the past, if you'd agree to join with me, then would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii Desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson, the world-famous Jenny Lawson, here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program and the playlist of the music heard here on Always Available, along with Cars I Talk t-shirts at harryshearer.com. And me, I'm the Harry Shearer on the Twitter. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO, New Orleans' flagship station for the Changes Easy Radio Network. I'll see you in the streets.